Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good oh, actually, good morning. It keep, keep, keeps hitting me. Good morning. Uh, we never know what day yeah, or time of day it is. Yeah, that's, how we, that's how we operate. But, uh, but we have, we're excited about the show. But before we do that, we'll start, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. And grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in and through our families. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, Holy Family of Nazareth. Pray for us. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yes. So so we we have, we're really excited about the guests. Are they being uh, piped in? I mean, Skyped in or (laughs) (laughs) something like that. Something like that. I don't know. Some technology that we don't have. We're over 50. We're just, you know, I'm barely learning how to text. They're being piped in from Vicenza, Italia. Ooh. Very good. Yeah. Well, well said. I'm glad you said that because I would have butchered it. But but a good Texas accent. But but in keeping with in keeping with um, the 50th anniversary of the release of Humanity Vitae, and um, we were given this a book that's called Inseparable, and it's five perspectives on sex, life, love, in defense of Humanity Vitae. And there's a chapter in there that we were really interested in because it's a husband and wife. Um, who have four children, I believe. Um, and they wrote a chapter and, and they're converts and, and it's about what led them um, to not only appreciate, but actually um, help support the church's teaching on life and love. And so we are honored to have um, these two people with us, husband and wife, Jessica and Sean McAfee. And, um, we're going to talk about kind of their conversion, uh, their thoughts on humanity and how that applies to us as parents and as married couples. So anyway, I'd like to welcome aboard uh, Sean and Jessica. Are you there? We are here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So excited that you could make it. And again, like we said, a little jealous here in Italy, but... Um, what time is it there? Yeah, what time is it there? Uh, it's six. It's right after six in the afternoon. Ah, All right. Evening, I guess. Or, okay. That's yeah, right. Buonasera. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, buonasera. Uh, we, we have got the... Uh, hey, I'm a quarter Italian. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> it's more Italian it's than Stephanie and I. But, yes. uh, but exactly. anyway... Um, <laughs> But I, I thought you say it like a Texan, a Bonacera. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it would come out of my mouth for sure. But uh, but anyway, um, we wanted we're glad you're here, and uh, we wanted to just give y'all um, a, a chance to introduce yourself. But I I did want to say we're not going to talk about this time, but we'd probably like to have you <laughs> have you back on this. Um, I know that that y'all early Sean has has written a uh, a new book, Social Media Magisterium, uh, no nonsense. No nonsense guide to the proper use of media. Uh, we need to read that. I mean, our kids are kind of well. <laughs> our 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 youngest are seventeen, but uh, but I know that it's something that still comes up with us and has has been central to, especially for people my our age, um, because it's all new to me. Stephanie just found. Oh, it's the same though. When you've got little kids, 
they put you to shame fast. It's amazing. We've got a four-year-old who can operate an iPhone better than I can. I, I, yes, and I'm we, sure we have to learn how to use that to our advantage. That's I think that the uh, the conclusion I've come to. But so maybe maybe you could tell us a little bit about that book, and then and then we'll dive right in after that into into um, the Humane Vitae and and y'all's story. Sure. So yeah, the, the book is uh, essentially based on one mission, and that's to get everybody 100,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> uh, then we'll really have to of read course, it. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. You know, um, there are a lot of great ego trips and a, got a lot of great moments you can have, you know, in, in social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. But there, the church proclaims that they're gifts from God because they help us evangelize the world like no other tools given to mankind before. Um, but at the same time, they come with a tremendous amount of responsibility. Um, they can be used to the damage of our souls, um, certainly to the damage of our own souls and certainly to the damage of the souls of others um, through online bullying or through issues with sexuality and pornography or just basic addiction. Um, so the book is aimed at a very broad look at what the church teaches um, about social media, which is why I named it Social Media Magisterium. So it talks about from 1936 when the church wrote its first encyclical on the proper use of media concerning motion pictures. This is back when King Kong and Clark Gable ruled the silver screen. <laughs> All the way wow. up until this last year when Pope Francis wrote the, I think it was the 42nd World, World Communications Day address. Um, the church has taught a lot about the proper use of media, and I wanted to uh, give a compelling and practical uh, guide for parents, for young bloggers, for those wanting to get into the media, or for people who just just downloaded their, their first app. Um, the book is a, is a great resource for you know really any Catholic who wants to use the media better and to the betterment of their soul and others. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a big that's a it's a big topic we we kind of go back and forth with, you know, on the show, especially with kids and, you know, parenting and I mean, it's, you know, it's so difficult to um to police that, if you will, you know, with your kids, but boy, I tell you, we've we've been able to teach a lot of life lessons through <laughs> right. posts and uh <laughs> All, all the all the social media. So yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to figure out and maybe Daddy said, "Y'all, we could figure out a time to, to have y'all back on that because I know yeah, I, that's a hot topic, topic. Mm -hmm. of, of all parents. Um, yeah, trying to do that because it's right at the center of what happens daily. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we'll we'll get that taken care of. Okay, we'll get awesome. it, get it booked. Appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. We're great. not talking about that book today. We're not. We're, we're talking, talking about, about inseparable. Inseparable. And you're That's not <laughs> there why goes, we're here. There goes the right. taskmaster. And, uh, yeah. And, and, and Thaddeus will keep us on task. Yes, he will. Because I tend to uh, digress. That's digress. Not true. Right. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, why don't you introduce yourselves um, to uh, our audience and, you know, how long you've been married, children, those type of things. Well, like you said, we're Sean and Jessica McAfee. Um, Sean is an author and works for the Department of Defense. And I am a stay-at-home mom currently. And I am a fertility care practitioner with the Creighton Model Method of NFP. Um, we have four kids. Uh, Gabriel is six. He is entering the world of first grader dumb, and we're getting used to having a kid in public school. Did she just wow. call him dumb? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, he's very intelligent. Uh, that doesn't happen until yeah. they hit teenage years. But yeah, anyway, exactly. first, first, first grader dumb. <laughs> I digress again. So, uh, so he's in school for the first time. I'm getting used to that life and we've got a preschooler Tristan he's four we have Dominic who's a toddler and he's a full raging toddler at two and then we just had a baby um, back in July and her name is Alette oh, oh congratulations beautiful. that's a that's kind of about us we 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 had four and about with well we had four pregnancies in six years I guess we had you know the last one was the was triplets so we, we, had, we had we had six under six for 
for a moment. But anyway. That sounds like the title of a really great book. <laughs> yeah. Or the other one is, you know, that, that we just don't have time to write it. That's, uh, yeah. Thir- right, right. It's it's one page. <laughs> it's the spinoff to Eight is Enough, six under six. But it also sounds like you're dead, like six feet under, sort of sort of it's provocative. Z, it's just got Z's on every page and right. It's got exactly. layers of meaning. I can write that book yeah. for sure. Uh anyway, um, well, we're we're really glad you're here, and like as you said, we we can get silly here, but but we do want to be serious because I think this is so such an important time for the church, remembering the um, remembering what Pope Paul VI gave us in humanity, what the church did, and and what's going on. So, you know, we read it, and we had a we really enjoyed. Um, we read it out loud. It's it's always good for couples to read out loud. I think together, um, it, we don't do that enough, but it, but this challenges to it. But anyway, with that in mind, we had a couple of questions. Is that a suggestion for a date for a, a date night? Read out I loud. Think so. to your read out loud. It's a cheap date. That's <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, to, <laughs> I'm writing that one down right now. <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, I think what you know, since the, the humanity Vitae is this thing, how did how did your reading of humanity Vitae and and um, change y'all's marriage your outlook? And and I think one of the things is many people I think are for, are challenged or scared to read a church document. Um, is it is it accessible? And if not, you know, what can people learn who want to dive in and and read about it and learn what the church teaches? Because ultimately, it sounds like that's kind of what led you deeper and deeper into the Catholic faith and and living your um, living this faith as you do now. Is that is that sure. accurate assessment? So yeah, let, let let maybe let the people know how it impacted you and how they might be able to access it, access it. Well, the Humana Vitae, you know, it's not the longest encyclical, so I would say it's certainly accessible just on the duration of the read. You know, some encyclicals are, can be, yes. you know, be near like 120 pages, like Pope Francis uh, um, Gaudium uh, Laudate, and those are just very long. Laudato Si was extremely long on the environment, but I like the style of Pope Paul VI because he really just got right to the point. He said what needed to be said. He closed the book and he said, okay, publish this. And it was out three days later um, in 1965. So whenever I first read it, it was the, it was at the direction of one of my deacons shortly after converting. Cause I guess I realized after deciding to become a Catholic and falling in love with Catholic church teaching that a lot of Catholics don't really obey what the Catholic Church says, especially when it comes to issues of contraception and support, at least politically, of pro-choice laws and legislation. And so I approached him, and I was a bit frustrated about that, like most of us maybe are. And uh, and he said, you know, you really need to read Humana Vitae. This is going to help you understand, you know, at least give you a basis of where the Church is coming from, you know, before you get into any of that. Um, and so I, I read it and I immediately enjoyed what I read. Like I said, the duration of it, you know, it didn't, it, it, you can read it in an afternoon. Um, and, uh, and, and I think what it taught for me, you know, I was married after I became Catholic and, and Jessica converted nine months after me. I'll give her a second to talk in a bit. Right. <laughs> but I, I think what it did for me, first of all, is it confirmed my, it confirmed what the Catholic church teaches on sexuality, because those are things you don't really go over in RCIA. They're not dogma. Um, right. it's, 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 it's church magisterial teaching on truth and morals. Um, so it is part of the magisterium, but it's not part of the dogmatic magisterium of the church. So it, it gave me a basis of how to understand my marriage, how to understand my future parenthood. I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that Humana Vitae doesn't just apply to married people. Um, of course, sexuality is within the context of marriage, but the point of view that Humana Vitae gave me was my future as a parent, especially in the matters of responsible parenthood. So it gave me a basis before I was even a parent about, you know, my responsibilities towards my children, my my sexual responsibilities towards my marriage and how I treat, you know, my wife's body and respect that and how I treat and respect my own body as I engage in those activities with my spouse. Wow. Um, and, uh, and I'll let Jessica, yeah, her. Let, she's yeah. very, she's a lot more thoughtful than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Humana Vitae was actually the first encyclical that I read as a Catholic, um, which is kind of sad to be honest, because I had already been Catholic for a little while and I was training in NFP, um, with Dr. Hilgers and he brought in 
sister Renee and she did an ethics course and then she talked about Humana Vitae and it was, it just blew my mind. It was amazing. I was already sold on NFP. I'd been doing it. I was obviously training for it, but I didn't know a lot of the, the wise and the moral world and Humana Vitae just really clears that up and it makes it so I mean, it's just like, why wouldn't I have understood this before? It's very simple to read. It's easy. Uh, maybe not the easiest thing to implement because it requires changing quite a bit of our worldview as people right. who hadn't already accepted those teachings. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was fantastic. And it really did okay. change our, our marriage in a lot of ways, at least for me, because I realized that I needed that, that worldview change. Well, I, I mean, that's one of the things I think is so beautiful about the faith, and we talk about it here, is is that integration of what you know what the church teaches into real life. It can it can it's something that that needs to be implemented, but there's a reason to study it. It's not, I mean, like I said, I've used it before. I remember talking to a priest after I got my master's in theological studies, and he's like. What are you going to do with that <laughs> as a banker? And I, and I think, unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Catholics look at. You know, there's like you studying what the church teaches, but then what, what does that really mean in my in my everyday life? Well, the fact is, it it can transform your everyday life, everything about your yeah. everyday life. There's a big difference between reading, you know, or or having a preacher, you know, or a priest come up and say, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, X, Y, Z is wrong, and this is the right way to be a Catholic, and going and discovering these truths for yourself, reading them for yourself in your own tone, in your own head, at your own pace, mm -hmm. that's that's one of the, you know, pedagogical ways that we learn is by teaching ourselves, and I think that whenever we read these encyclicals, especially like Humana Vitae, it opens our eyes and our ears and our hearts more than it would if somebody was just to say, the Catholic Church teaches that contraception is wrong. That that there there needs to be a basis for it. And there needs needs to be a sense of self discovery. Mm. And I think Steph would agree with this. Maybe maybe y'all will too. The Church gives us a great. In that, the Church gives us a great um, example because I think that while while you do need to be able to tell your kids, mm -hmm. hey, stop doing that. You, you you need to stop now because I said so. At some point, you need to engage them at the in their heart and mind. Um, and be able to say, look, we need you to understand why we're saying, obviously, if you're playing the street, we don't want you to get run over, but, <laughs> but other, but other, but other things. And that, that's the way I think that we've tried to raise our kids as they're older is listen, obey us for now, but we'll be happy to talk you through that. Uh -huh. and, and the mother, our mother, the church does that. And I don't think many Catholics, unfortunately, I, maybe the younger Catholics my age, Mm -hmm. uh, over 50, <laughs> 70 is a lot younger than me, but <laughs> she rolls her eyes. But, uh, but I think a lot of people, um, don't realize that the church does have a why does have a lot of whys. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, when we, you know, in raising our kids, we, we did, we, we always wanted to talk to them about the, you know, if we gave them an instruction or, uh, you know, or gave them a, a commandment <laughs> to obey. We, you know, we did try to do the moral reason why, and um, and I think, yeah, like you said, the church, the church does that for us. And I think it was a challenge for us when we were raising kids to, you know, to to delve into that and to you know to be able to. I mean, I, you know, we're a domestic church. <laughs> we want to mimic right. what <laughs> what the beauty you know that we've been given, um, you know, in our faith and in and in the church and. We, we don't lack for information. In fact, it's almost, I think it can be overwhelming. <laughs> right. How much there is. Yeah, right. how much there is. But it's just, you know, it, it's just like one of those things. You just keep putting one one foot in front of the other or one encyclical in front of the other, whichever way you want to. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, I think, I think that, I think we can all learn. We've always, this show is called The Mystery of Parenthood because we're, tying it to the fact that we're meant to be visible signs of the church. And so we can look to the church often and certainly in, in principle can say, we need to try to follow the way they lead, which is we have to they give, deliver the truth, but they also also deliver to us an explanation of why that truth, why it is the truth and why it matters um, in our day-to-day -day lives. So it sounds like that's what y'all have experienced. Um, do y'all have any comments on that or thoughts 
Nope. I, I think that sums it up perfectly. Okay. Right. Well then, then, um, then the next one is, cause I think this is really important and, and it's kind of not, not necessarily off topic, but, but I think it's important for us to hear in reading both of y'all at, at different points had interactions with, with other Catholics and it, they all had some impact on y'all and, and on your, um, deciding to convert and become, become Catholics. What, you know, can you tell us something about them and what about them led you this direction and how they might've helped you? Cause I think all of us could use some encouragement to make sure that we understand that we can, um, help others come to the realization of the church and is the fullness of the Christian faith. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. if y'all could talk to that, that'd be great. Okay. Um, well, we became Catholic about the same time. Not quite. I think Sean was a little upset that I wasn't, maybe not upset, maybe concerned that I may never become Catholic, but only nine months later I was. So I think that shows a lot of how his, he acted out in front of me that I was able to watch him and his exploration of the faith. And I was able to ask questions and and he respected the fact that I wasn't Catholic yet and that I was looking into it and, and gave me that space. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I was pregnant at the time that we decided to look into the Catholic faith. And I ended up at Pope Paul the Institute um, and had no idea that, that they did anything with NFP. I just heard that they would do everything possible to save a pregnancy. And I was a high risk pregnancy. I'd been told as a teenager that I'd probably never get pregnant. And if I did, there was a high chance of miscarriage. So with that, I wanted to immediately get someplace that would take care of my first baby, not wait for me to repeatedly have miscarriages. Um, So that's what landed us at Pope Paul VI Institute. And we walked in and I don't think I warned Sean that it was a Catholic place in the beginning. <laughs> this was right before we started looking into into the Catholicism. And right in the lobby, there's a big picture of the Pope. <laughs> and there's Catholic things everywhere. Um, I mean, it's just beautiful. It's fantastic. But you don't have any question that they're Catholic, which is <laughs> kind of wonderful, to be honest, because you know what you're getting into as you walk through the doors. Um, so we're sitting there in the lobby and, and he's a little bit nervous and, and I'm nervous cause I'm pregnant and don't know what to expect or even what questions to ask for the first time. And we go into the office and everyone we encountered was just fantastic. They were wonderful. They were peaceful and gentle. They put all of our anxieties to the side. Sean was immediately friends with half the nurses joking and having fun. Um, And then Sean became Catholic before I did. Um, He can share a little bit more on his story. But I think one of the main reasons that I was able to join in the Catholic Church as quickly as I did following him was the example of the doctors and the nurses that are in there and who are now co-workers when I go back. (laughs) I've worked with them for a while, one overseas. So when I go back, they'll be co-workers again. Um, But they also became friends of ours as well. And... They answered questions for me when it was appropriate, but they never pushed. They just let their faith live through them and shine through them. And it was very evident that they had peace and that they had maybe more somehow than than what I understood Christianity to be. And as I learned, um, it was the sacraments and knowing about the Eucharist and and just it's a whole different worldview becoming Catholic. There's a fullness there that I didn't even know I was missing prior. Mm -hmm. And it took that time and that relationship with those people and Sean and people from church to answer those questions over time until I was comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I I would agree. You know, I, I always say this is that nobody ever converts to another religion with the perception that they're not going to have some sort of, you know, or some sort of support community. Um, and so, so seeing that whenever I decided to become a Catholic was extremely important. I met a few extremely well-educated Catholics who probably listened to Catholic Answers live, you know, on repeat. Listen right. to the old episodes. <laughs> so, so I met some really good lay apologists who I wanted to prove wrong. My journey to the Catholic Church was probably a little less relational than Jessica's. Mine was more intellectual, where I was trying to prove these Catholics wrong and ended up proving myself wrong. <laughs> <in the process. laughs> 
and and, and it, it really is funny but w one of the special things that that happened during all of this was yes these people you know they they understood the history better they connected the church fathers to the biblical teachings better they uh but one of the things that they did was they they told me about the saints and wow, this is something yeah. that was completely lacking in my southern baptist upbringing and, and in my mega church adulthood was the idea that there were people who carried these torches so profoundly before us and still intercede for us. And this was just eye-opening for me. And so as these people told me these stories about people like St. John Vianney, you know, predicting the sins of the, the, of the confessors or confronting them if they didn't give a full confession or, or promising people that their spouses were in purgatory or, you know, who committed suicide or these and these things, these seers and these, these healers and these miracle performers. As soon as I started to see that, my, my trust in the Catholic Church, not just from an intellectual, but from intellectual level, but from a relational level, really started to take off. And, and I would say that there are a lot of great people in the world who aren't Catholic, but it was in this time that I realized that, like Jessica seemed to articulate pretty well, is that there was something different about the faith of, of good Catholics, um, mm. good Catholics who understood what their church taught understood the mysteries of the church, you know, and, and the fullness of, of how much you can, you know, understand a mystery, like the mystery of marriage. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, but more than that, they, they also wanted to take care of me. They weren't just, you know, talking to me with an agenda to get me, you know, to sit in the front pew with them and tithe 10% a week and buy into their, you know, pyramid program for their new religion. Or I didn't really know what to expect. I was very, I was very skeptical skeptical convert for a while, but I think these personalities soon won me over. Wow. Well, I think, I mean, I definitely heard in both of your stories, it's, you know, for our listeners out there, it's about time and relationship. You know, you like you said, you're not going to, you know, walk in and convert someone, um, and you're certainly not going to do it with an argument, but just love and patience and, and living out the beauty of our faith being excited about being Catholic, even though we don't know everything maybe that we need to know about our faith, but knowing that there is a, there is a place and a way to find those answers, you know? Right. And so it sounds right. like, you know, the neat thing is, is that both of y'all seem to have different, they, they were relational, but, but <laughs> yeah. I think part of it is meeting people where they are, where they're engaged, obviously with, with you being pregnant, Jessica, that, that, that was a very, I mean, that was a natural place to have questions and to be able to show you care. And then, and then when you're Sean, like me, probably wanting to hear, you wanted to sit down and dig through what's really true and not, but, but, but having those people who would stand there beside you. But also I heard a thing that I thought was, is important is we as Catholics need to recognize that a lot of people out there don't have what we have and they're not even aware that we have it. So when, yep. when, the, when appropriate, like you said, not pushing, but when appropriate, when questions come up, having enough there to be able to give, right? I mean, it sounds like that's what happened with y'all. Yeah, well said. Right. Yeah, I think that's super important. Um, the people that I talked to were, were very open, but they never approached me unless I asked first, which was incredible. Mm. That, that is good thing you asked. <laughs> yes, it is good ass. I, I was having a conversation with our, my son on the way over here. He's in college, and I said, I said sometimes because he was asking about a conversation he needed to have with somebody, and and I was like, look, sometimes just pray for the for that opportunity to to become a parent, you know, for a question uh, to come up, or just that you'll know because if God wants a conversation to happen and, and in the case of wanting to lead people to the fullness of what he's revealed in, in Christ, he wants that to happen. So if you ask that prayer, you know, he's going to answer it. So yes. anyway, that's, that's part of the good news, I guess, as well. Um, so this is one that, and I, and I, and I realize I'm on the, on the, on the age, but it's something that comes up. Have you, have you thought about, or um, are you doing anything particularly with young? Cause we've, uh, with regard to like, how you're going to go about teaching um, sex and marriage to your kids. I mean, it's six, I guess the oldest is not, not quite there, but certainly there are aspects maybe of, of theology of the body or, or other things that would be something you maybe could be working on now. Is that? 
Yeah, while while other parents in the secular world are teaching their kids about uh, Daniel Tiger at night, I read them John Paul II's Theology of the Body. (laughs) 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 No, it it is a tough subject. Like you said, my oldest is almost seven years old, but we were watching um, we were watching Planet Earth, and it was just a month ago, and we're watching Planet Earth, and it's talking about the the I guess the copulation between sperm whales. Oh, and it wow. talked about releasing eggs and releasing sperm, and and I would and Gabriel goes sperm, and <laughs> and he just says it like a little six year old, like it's a new popsicle or something, uh, and, and 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 I didn't feel compelled to kind of you know explain to him fully you know mitosis and meiosis and how a baby is fertilized, <laughs> and you know I didn't need to explain it like that, but I you know mm-hmm. I did let him know hey this is you know. Uh, it's, it's part of the process of baby being made. And I left it at that. He didn't ask any more questions. I think that these conversations need to be tempered. I, I've, I've studied um, the work of, of, of Protestant doctors who have written on the subject about raising young men and women. And I've studied the, the work of, uh, of Catholic doctors who have discussed the raising of uh, young, young boys and young girls. And I think the one thing that we can all agree on is that these things need to be tempered, right? So we don't introduce them immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I suppose the most important thing that I would say for any parent out there, you know, of a young or an old kid, this is something that never changes, is you really, in the 21st century, if there's one thing we want to get right as parents to guide our kids in the right direction sexually, they will and I, this isn't a plug for my new book. This is real, <laughs> but right. we need to be very aware of how they're consuming media. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and this mm-hmm. is something I do discuss at length in my new book, Social Media Magisterium, because the media now has such a profound effect on the family. You know, my dad used to say that, you know, they used to join hands and, and, and pray before a meal. And even growing up for me, we, we sat together and we watched dinner or we watched dinner. We yeah, maybe sometimes we watched <laughs> like Brussels sprouts. I would watch that. <laughs> we, would, we would eat dinner and then we would watch TV. But a lot of families now, you know, they're not eating together. They're, you know, on their devices during meals. Um, And then these kids, you know, around 11 years old, sometimes these male boys predominantly around the age of 11 or 12 view their first sexual image. Um, And it's not a beautiful and gratifying sexual image. It's a uh, it's a disgusting sexual image that, you know, objectifies a woman's body and and does objectify a man's body as well. And uh, and these things get them curious and they get them hooked and there's more of it out there and they know how to search for it. It's on every platform and it's very easy. And then parents, they don't know about it because these kids feel an immediate amount of shame, very measurable amount of shame. They don't want to tell. And then it becomes a problem. And then we get this cycle of addiction among young men in our society. And so in order to temper that, what I suggest and, and what we do with our kids is we really drive wholesome media consumption Um, Our kids, I don't know, I think I ask them to only watch at least a half hour of TV a day. And if they watch anything over that, you know, if Pokemon or or Daniel Tiger or whatever they're watching, it's got to be if they if they beg and there's really nothing to do, they're finished with their chores or they're done with their homework or you know, they don't want to play outside or it's raining. Then what they do is they watch a Catholic shoot, a Catholic movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they watch yeah. something about the saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way that way they don't associate the media just with entertainment. They don't just associate, you know, the and it, it keeps their ears kind of in, you know in a zone, in a muffled zone where they're only getting a certain message. They're only getting approved media that Jessica and I have also viewed that's going to teach them about sanctity, about life, about the dignity of the human person. And as they get older, those shows will change and their tastes will change and they'll become more mature and we can temper it with more, you know, educational programs and then have those talks with them. As the age, you know, gets to be right, I think a lot of parents, especially in my generation, I'm 32 years old now, I think most parents, you know, who had their kids in the 80s were probably a little too afraid to talk to their kids about sex because it was such a rapidly changing subject. And so they didn't sit their kids down and, you know, quote unquote, have the talk. And it doesn't need to maybe look just like that, but they oftentimes let the schools teach their kids or let the kids at school teach their kids Mm -hmm. and they didn't know it. And so I think if you, if you can preemptively begin to have discussions about the beauty of the form of the body, about the meaning of sexuality, you know, about its proper context, kids will understand that. I remember, 
from a very early age, you know, my parents, whenever we saw something they didn't mean for us to see during a Super Bowl commercial or something or a movie, even whenever we watched Titanic in 1995, my dad got us home and he wasn't maybe he wasn't Catholic. So he didn't, you know, read Humana Vitae, but he sat us down and he told us what we looked at. He told us the proper context of it. You know, and uh, and I think I was only about 10 or 11 years old at that time. Man, that yep. shows how young I was. <laughs> and 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 we talked about that and I understood it and I still remember it and it made an impact on me. I wanted to save my soul for marriage. And uh, I, I think I don't think there's ever an age too early to begin to kind of introduce at least ideas to our kids. And uh, yes. and then the most important thing, as I said, is to be sure you don't have to keep your kid under a rock. But to be sure, you've got accountability software and you are knowing what your kid is doing on those devices at all times. It's vital. Right. right. Yeah, we, we definitely preach that here. And it's hard. I mean, it's really it's time consuming and we have six. So it's, you know, to look at texts and to follow all of them on all their different social medias. Um, it's a it's a it's a full-time job but we definitely yeah we definitely agree with you we've always we always laugh we we say you know I mean we're just a little bit older than you but um (laughs) you know back in our day it was the talk you know and we laugh about it's not a talk it is an ongoing conversation and it It begins when you know when they are very young and I think you know you hit on a good point that you use what is in their world to, you know, to attach those moral values to. I mean, for me, it was, you know, Barbies with my girls and, you know, um, you know, uh, veggie tales and, and those kind of things that the kids were watching and just talked about, you know, at those young ages, just about how your body is a temple and it's sacred and God gave it to you to take care of. And, you know, so, I mean, yeah, you start all those conversations, you know, from the get go. <laughs> right. right. And yeah. it's easy. Most of these things are, are super simple to bring sure. up in everyday life. You yeah. have dignity and your body has dignity. Absolutely. This is why we cover ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's not a shameful thing. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Other people have dignity. They, right. They're easy topics to talk about. Well, you, and you brought, and you mentioned something that we, we've talked about before, but about being aware of what's appropriate for their, for their age. age. Yeah. One of my good friends tells a story that I always use to, to make this point is he said that their, their 10 year old came in or 11 year old came in and said something like, Hey dad, what's sex? <laughs> and he goes, go ask your mother. And so the, so the, the mother, go back to the mother and he asked the same question. He says, no, go ask your father. He's take care of this. And anyway, the father was smart enough to ask the question, why do you ask? As opposed to launching jumping, into, launching this, into yeah, it. Yeah. And the guy said, well, there's this thing on this piece of paper that says sex and there's an M and an F next to it. And, oh. and so, so you can, you can dive into things before it's time, if you don't, you know, maybe ask questions like why you're asking. And, and I think it's a, you made a great point when things come up and it sounds like your father did, Sean, as well. We talk about, I mean, I think from the very first show we did this five or six years ago was, was using Deuteronomy. You know, where, wherever you go, talk with them, whether you're standing, walking, that was in Moses the said, line, in the car in, in the, the carpool line, whatever. <laughs> On the way to soccer. <laughs> so when something happens, so when something happens, like you said, like your dad did, and like you did, being able to address it then, because I do think that, particularly if there's some interest, it becomes theirs more at that point. They will yeah. remember it. You, you know, I just want to mention one thing that came to mind while we're discussing all of this, and it comes from the prevailing thought that you know dads need to have the talks with boys. And moms need to have the talks with girls. And I think that that's backwards, um, or at least it's not wow. wholesome. And I learned this from Layla Miller. I'm not sure if you've read her blog or no. know any of her books, but <clears throat> she's a very wise mother of like eight children, and most of them are boys. And she says in her book, Raising Chaste Catholic Men, that she is the one who had the talk with her boys. And whenever it came to being with the girls, her dad was also there. You know, so I think I think it shows that it's not just, you know, oh, a women's thing to talk to women. It's not a man's thing to talk to men. Mm-hmm. It is a us thing for parents to approach this together. 
you know, and I totally understand your point, you know, you know, it's your turn or it's, it's mom's job or, you know, go ask your mother or father. Well, I, I do understand the point there and it, and it is almost humorous, but you know, what, what could be even more wholesome is teaching, you know, a young woman, you know, that, Hey, right. dad is in on this too. Mm-hmm. This is how dad thinks too. Or teaching a young man, Hey, this is your mom saying this. This is a mature woman that raised you and you love her. Right. We did. Know, and we that, did that is, and we did it. We, we tried to do, we would take them out take them out and talk mom and dad together to talk with, to talk with them, um, to show right. that it was a joint, it was joint. And then, and everybody can interject different bits from, from their perspective and how it went. And now with, with the teenagers that we have, you, people would probably, I, I'm amazed. I mean, there the are times conversations get, that we have sometimes over dinner. I'm sure there are people would be like, Oh my gosh. We've said it. And we've, it's just like a natural thing at our I'm table. We, it, I'm not even here. Yeah. We've said, we've said it before, but like they, the boys went in the two boys, uh, the triplets, they went in with Stephanie to, and, and the doctor in front of her was like, do do you, have you have your parents talked to you about sexuality? <laughs> and one of his, my sons said, "We talk about that over sushi." <laughs> so, oh, wow. so he said, well, "I need to come over to y'all's uh, to have dinner with y'all sometime soon." But anyway, but I, I look at Stephanie sometimes and go, "These, I mean, these conversations would never have happened in the back room." And I mean, a healthy. I'm not talking about obnoxious. I'm talking yeah. about healthy conversations yes. yeah. about. Right about that. Yeah. We can't be afraid to, to talk about it. And and we don't want it to make to make it some backroom bad thing because, you know, Trey and I have talked about the fact that, you know, back in the day when we had the talk, it was like it was something that was bad. You know, that you didn't we want it to be the beauty, like you said, within the context of marriage. It is beautiful, you know, um, that our sexuality is beautiful and and, you know, we don't want them I mean, how do you switch a kid from just telling them no, no, no to then they get married and then it's yes. I mean, you know, um, right. you want to lay that foundation for that, um, you know, for the beauty of that. And, and you do that, I think, through talking so much about their bodies and, and, you know, the importance and the sacredness of our bodies and the gift that our sexuality is. Um, right. Well, I I did want to make sure that we that we covered um, this because this usually is the case. It <laughs> time flies, um, but y- y'all talk a, a pretty much at, at length about responsible parenthood at, as presented in Humanae Vitae and other magisterial documents. I, I think it's important to have a Catholic perspective, and it sounds and y'all um, not only share that in 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 this chapter of this book, Inseparable. But it sounds like you'll have a, a way of explaining it to people that I think is is important for our listeners and, and for us to hear. So how so how would you so I said, well, so what is responsible parenthood from a Catholic perspective and how is that different from, you know, responsible parenthood in, in other places? Right. Well, as a Catholic, um, you have a different moral code, I think, is basically the, the big part of it. You're making decisions from morality and not necessarily all your own desires, but you're even willing to put in self-sacrifice into those desires at time. So um, it's section 10 in Humana Vitae. It's extremely short, just a couple paragraphs long. And it's just amazing to me how freeing it is because as a new Catholic coming in, I knew I liked NFP. I was so confused, though, when you go online and you start looking up blogs and some people seem to have all these rules and some people don't. And and where do you draw the line? And and they spell it out right here in Humanae Vitae. Pope Paul VI did a fantastic job showing, OK, this is this takes over your whole body. It takes over your mind and your spirituality. I'm sorry, your spirituality and your physicality. And and how are you doing with your emotions? Are you able to financially take care of things? And so it goes on to all these different aspects, but he never says, okay, here's the line in the sand. This is how you decide whether or not you're going to have a baby. And this is how you do it. He says, no, you need to take into, um, take into mind the biology. Like, is it moral? Is it going to be something that's natural? Does it put the other person first? Does it take care of the family you already have? Um, and it's, it's just amazing how freeing it is because you're not looking at a set of rules. You're saying, okay, if right now I'm feeling crazy overwhelmed, that's okay. That's a good reason to avoid a pregnancy for a short 
amount of time or for even just saying, okay, for an indefinite amount of time, we're going to not focus on having a baby right now. And how we're going to do that isn't we're going to prevent a baby from happening uh, by changing our biology. And it's not we're going to prevent a baby by having a backup plan that'll cause a miscarriage. It's okay, well, we're just going to deny ourselves in this moment, allow it to grow us spiritually and together and appreciate the other aspects of our marriage. And and it shows us that intimacy is not just sexuality. It's so much more than that. It involves the whole person. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. I think one of the things that Jessica said to me once whenever we read Humana Vitae is I said, you know, this has a lot of broad language in it. What'd you think about it? And she said, you know, I see a lot of freedom in it. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she was trying to say is we, you know, we read, human, we read, you know, on some blogs out in the internet and they seem to be bent up with rules. Well, responsible parenthood touches on a lot of subjects, you know, from, like she said, the mental aspect, the sexual aspect, the parental aspect, the, 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 the interest you need to have in maintaining your marriage and holy matrimony. But there's a lot of freedom that goes along with it as well. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that even in responsible parenthood, you're not saying, okay, well, I'm in control, period. You're saying, hey, a baby could happen, and we're going to love that baby. Mm-hmm. The openness to life, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that's, I, I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, the, the church, I think like a good parent should be, provides boundaries and, and things to kind of keep us on track, but, but we often forget the church actually opens, uh, leaves a lot of freedom and, and really, um, honors our intellect and our will, um, in the way that they, the way that they deliver the message. You know, I think that I'm, I'm actually having to give a talk tonight on, 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 uh, sin and salvation. And I was thinking back to the beginning of the beginning of, uh, of Genesis at the, at the fall that, you know, God says, Hey, you can do all of this, but don't eat of this tree. But everything else is is free, and we and we often focus on the you sh- you can't do this <laughs> instead of all the things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think that we as Catholics need to like. It sounds like y'all y'all appreciate it, but we as Catholics need to remember it's not it's not about the rules. <laughs> it's about the freedom that we've gained. Um, because we understand right. fully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my, uh, my, my college professor, when I got my master's in, in uh, theology, we, I took a class in moral theology. And he said at the beginning of the class, he said, you need to know one thing. And that's that moral theology that is aimed on one thing. And that's to inform us on what we can't do. We always want to know you know, how much can we get away with? And I know that's, that's not, of course, you know, the, the right answer, but it is a, it is a funny aside. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's, I think it's just important for us to remind ourselves that if we're looking for the whys and we're looking at why do the rules, what rules exist, exist that when you do investigate it, it's actually for your good. It's, it's when and you can see it and you even inherently, it sounds like maybe Jessica, you even, kind of had a sense of that from from early on with regard to I just don't I mean I I don't like this whole uh birth control by a pill <laughs> type of thing yeah, it doesn't make me feel good I mean yeah. so even like there's something about the natural order that even directs us towards that mm-hmm. exactly well and I think the beauty of kind of what you were talking about you know in that openness is is you know God gives us those parameters and those guidelines for us to grow closer to him and, and, and that constant conversion, you know, he wants our hearts. He wants us to want to do this because we love him and because of our relationship with him, which is exactly as parents, how we're trying to raise our kids. We don't want them to, you know, to not do something because they're going to get in trouble. And, you know, we're this ogre that's lording it over them. We want 
we want their hearts. Now, now, granted, there are times that you have to say a hard and fast no, and it's because I said so. But that's what, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the very beginning of this show, to, to explain to a child the moral reason why is filling their hearts with, you know, these nuggets of information that hopefully they'll be able to use as an overlay because we're not going to be in a situation where we're going to be able to teach our kids how to behave and act in every, you know, every situation. So but. amazingly, we're we're down to the last two minutes. So yeah. so would y'all have, I mean, first off, I do know that, that we want to allow you to, again, not only plug your new book, uh, Sean, but but show how people can get it, and then shamelessly. <laughs> no, I think because I'm really excited about the book and like to have it back. I think I think it would, it's something great. So why don't you? It's give inseparable us that from your current. <laughs> very nice. Oh, the current topic. <laughs> you know, if I could say one thing, it's it's that anybody listening, you know, I felt like the 50th anniversary of Humana Vitae was approaching all year, and a lot of people were excited about it. But I kind of feel like it went over kind of just like a regular feast day. Well, okay, let's move on to the next thing and. And I really wish that we all kind of slowed down and kind of took time to, to talk about it a bit more. Maybe I missed some of that conversation because we live in Italy. But <laughs> but right. I, I felt like at least online, you know, we didn't really talk about it. So I really encourage anybody who really, you know, maybe if they looked in them, at themselves, you know, you know, around the time of late July and they didn't, you know, really catch the wind of the Humana Vitae train that came through, you know, if they would go back and take the time to go back and read inseparable of course this great book from catholic answers that has many when they have like astronauts writing the other chapters of the books it's 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 very good um ours is just the easy touch but also to go back and read pope paul the sixth encyclical and really understand what the church was trying to teach but yeah okay i'll shamelessly plug my other book yeah so social media magisterium it uh it came out last month and it is uh, an excellent practical and and in-depth look at what the church teaches about media Perfect. which is to me the biggest issue of our time is how exactly are we supposed to use these tools these gifts from god as the church has declared them and well, to evangelize and teach the world about christ well we'll have you we'll have you back for that but so we're, we're gonna have to end this. hold on after we end but let stephanie Yes. Do I have time for our, yeah, do, our memory verse this this week is Deuteronomy 11.1. 1. Um, and I'm going to let you look that up and see it, but it's Deuteronomy 11.1. 1, and just remember, only God can help you take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. God bless. Thanks for joining us today. Pray for us. We're praying for you. Thank you, Sean and Jessica. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.